0: I want you to take your Bibles or your apps, whatever you read on, and today we're gonna be in Matthew chapter five. Matthew chapter five. Now, I understand that Matthew may be kind of difficult to locate in your Bible. I mean, let's face it, This book, this thing we call a book, is actually a library filled with 66 books. And so uh, let me give you some clues, some hints on how to find Matthew if you're not sure how to locate it. Uh, If you're in a physical Bible, just open up to the Table of Contents. There is no shame in that whatsoever. Uh, You'll find Matthew is the first book of the big section called the New Testament. Uh, So in the Table of Contents, find the New Testament. Matthew's the first book in that section. Go to that page number and then flip through until you get to the big five now if you're in an app just pull down the list of the books of the Bible and you'll find Matthew is around two-thirds of the way down that list so again Matthew chapter 5 now I want to create a scenario a hypothetical for you this morning let's say that I got married Uh, I am married but but let's say when I got married that I went to my wife and I said to her honey what is the minimum amount of time that I have to spend with you in order to keep this marriage together? What if I asked her this question, honey, how close can I get to cheating on you before you would reconsider this marriage agreement? Uh, What about this question? What if I went to her and said, what is the least amount of work that I have to put into this relationship to keep this marriage together? Now, If I went to my wife and asked either of those three questions, my wife would probably reconsider that marriage. Uh, That is not the basis of a healthy marriage relationship. What do you think her reaction would be? I don't think it would be happiness. I don't think it would be satisfaction or pleasure. I think she would probably get very concerned, very worried about my relationship. And and on a side note, let me just say this. Many of you may be in marriages where this is your approach or your spouse's approach to the relationship. And maybe you need to sit down and reevaluate the healthiness of your marriage. Because, uh, and let me just say that's for another, mari- or another message, but a healthy marriage is not based on meeting the minimum requirements for that relationship, to make your spouse happy in that relationship. It's about going above and beyond living out the love that you have in that relationship. And our relationship with Jesus is similar to this. Uh, and, and I want to argue today, today is the last in our series on the Beatitudes, and we're going to take all the Beatitudes that we've read, and we're going to take a hard look at what they say together, and what they teach us together, and what they reflect on in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm going to argue today that it goes back to our love for Jesus, and Jesus gives us some some very clear instruction about His love for us, and in response, what our love for Him should be doing in our lives. Uh, but we've been talking about these beatitudes. That's what we've been discussing for the last several weeks, and these beatitudes i've made the argument that the beatitudes are an introduction to the sermon on the mount the sermon on the mount uh, is a massive block of teaching uh, that jesus gives us in matthew chapters 5 6 and 7. now i've made the argument that in order to understand the sermon on the mount we have to understand his introduction to the sermon on the mount which is the beatitudes matthew chapter 5 verses 3 through 12. now Let's go ahead and read that passage uh, and then dive into what I think Jesus is teaching us today. So Matthew chapter 5, I want us to begin in verse 3, Matthew 5 verse 3. Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth." Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so also they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 5, because we're going to be coming back uh, periodically through this morning's message to this passage, but... In my first message in this series on the Beatitudes, I made the argument that, uh, that, that this is the introduction and in order to understand the, seri- the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand the introduction. And in that first message, I quoted a famous theologian named John Stott. And here's the quote that I gave at the beginning of this sermon series. John Stott says, The Sermon on the Mount is the nearest thing to a manifesto that Jesus ever uttered. For it is his own description of what he wanted his followers to be and do. You see, this is Jesus' description of what his followers will look like. Uh, so, so the Sermon on the Mount, but especially the Beatitudes, uh, this gives us a glimpse into what Jesus tells us His followers will look like, what their lives will look like, what their attitudes, what their their dreams, what their uh, you know uh, words and actions. All those things, our desires, our attitudes, it's what those things will look like if we're a true follower. Now, let me be clear here we don't read the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes uh, with the approach that we have to have and live this perfect life that Jesus describes in in the Sermon on on the Mount. We don't strive to live to earn our love for Jesus. We don't try to earn Jesus's heart because Jesus died because he loved us. Jesus loved you before he ever created anything in the universe. His love for you is immeasurable. His love for you is incalculable. It is unending. It is infinite. It is without boundaries. That's the love that Jesus has for you. And so when we take a look at his love, we don't have to earn his love. It was already there. His love for you cannot be earned. His love for you is based on what he did for you on the cross and three days later when he rose from the grave. You see, it's his love that drove Jesus to come as an ordinary human, to live through uh, all of the ins and outs, the, the joys and the pains, the, the difficulties, the discomfort of living as a human. He experienced all of that. And not only that, he lived out, he experienced every temptation that is common to us as men and women. And so he lived that, he experienced that. And then he went through all those things and, and despite these temptations, he never committed a single sin. He was sinless in all of his ways. And at the end of his life, he was taken before the, the officials, the, the, the religious leaders of his day and time. And despite the fact that he was completely innocent of any sin, despite the fact that he was perfect and sinless, they condemned him to death. And he willingly went and died on a cross. And that death gave us forgiveness. Forgiveness. You see, we are all sinners. We're not like Jesus. We, we are tempted and we sometimes fall into that temptation. Sin, biblically, is defined as either lawlessness, disobeying God's plan, God's purpose, God's, God's commands to our life. But it's also described as um, knowing the right thing that we should do and not doing it. And so we have all sinned. And that sin has condemned us to eternal punishment. Because we are criminals. We we deserve the punishment that is before us because we are guilty. But the moment that Jesus died on that cross, out of his love for you, when he died on that cross, when you come to believe in him and what he did for you, he wipes those sins clean. And when you believe in him, you can be freed, you can be rescued, you can be saved from that eternal punishment that we, that we all rightly deserve. And instead we can have eternal life, a life of perfection, eternal existence with God because of what Jesus did on that cross. But it didn't end there. You see, three days later, Jesus in victory over sin and death, declaring that he was and is the one true son of God, he rose from the grave. He he brought himself back to life out of his death. And we can have that victory. We can have the forgiveness of sins. We can be rescued. We can be saved from that eternal punishment. And and please hear me clearly. If If you're watching or listening right now and you do not believe in Jesus, you've never come to the place where you have placed your trust and given your life to him. But what I've been talking about brings questions or curiosity or maybe you feel compelled to respond in some way, I want you to reach out to us. Uh, in the post of this video, there's a link to our website. It'll take you to the contact us page. I, I think the link says contact us and it, it has a link beside it. It'll take, a, take you to the contact us page on our website. Go to that page, fill that form out and reach out to us. I would love the opportunity to call you uh, or reach out to you in some way by email or whatever. I would love the opportunity to reach out and answer any of those questions that you may have and and give you the opportunity to ask questions and and honestly pursue what Jesus may be doing in your life. And so please, if... If you've got questions about Jesus, go click that link, reach out to us and give me the opportunity, give us as a church, the opportunity to answer any questions that you may have about Jesus. But we don't live the life that Jesus describes because we're trying to earn his love or, or earn that eternal life that I was just speaking about. We do it because we love him. And I'm going to unpack this for just a minute. The, the way of living is simply a response to the love that we have for Jesus. If you have Jesus in your life, you want to live for him. Your faith in him drives you. It compels you to live for him the way he describes in the Sermon on the Mount. I've got a couple passages outside of Matthew 5 that I want to quote to you. And you can turn to these or, or write them down, but I'd love for you to come back to these later. James chapter 2, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Now, James is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. And he became a follower of Jesus after Jesus died and rose again. He was convinced that his half-brother was the Son of God and died for the sins of the world. And he writes a book in our New Testament called the Book of James. James 2, verses 14 through 17, James says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, What good is that? So also faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, James is making the argument that a follower of Jesus will, as a result of following Jesus, have good works. They'll do things. They'll they'll live a life for Jesus. It's a natural result of our love for him jesus himself says this matthew 25 so the book we're already in matthew 25 verses 35 through 40 says for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty and you gave me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me i was in prison and you came to me then the righteous will answer him saying lord when did we see you uh, hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink and when did we see you see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will answer them truly I say to you as you did it to the least of these my brothers you did it to me also you see the way that we live for Jesus is an outpouring of our love for him. It is a natural result, a natural reaction to the love that we have for Jesus Christ. But I think that the problem is, is that we all too often take that love for granted. Jesus calls us to go above and beyond out of our love for him, but we often approach our faith from the perspective of what is the minimum requirement to be considered a follower of Jesus? What's the least amount that we have to do or think or be in order to still be a follower of Jesus? But that's the wrong question. We shouldn't be asking what is the least that we have to do. We should be asking God, what radically are you calling us to? Go back to uh, what I opened with, with the love of love for my wife, you know, if if you have a spouse, it's not healthy to approach your marriage relationship asking the question, "What is the minimum that I must do to keep this marriage um, together?" Uh, the idea should be uh, out of your love for your spouse to go above and beyond. So in my own relationship with my wife, I don't approach that relationship asking how far I can drift away from my relationship while still keeping the marriage together. I don't ask how can I, how close can I get to cheating on my wife without actually cheating and still keep that marriage together. I don't ask what's the least amount of time that I have to spend with my wife in order to keep her uh, in the marriage. Those aren't the types of questions that I ask of myself or my spouse in my marriage. Instead, no, I, I ask, uh, you know, how much time can I spend? How close can I get to her? How, uh, I don't want to get as close to cheating as possible without actually cheating. I want to run from adultery. I want to go the other way. I want to flee from anything that would risk my marriage with my wife. You know, I want to please her. I, I want my wife to to see all that I do out of my love for her. And I want her to smile. I want her to be happy because she can trust me. Because I have a love for her that drives me to keep my marriage, not just together, not the minimum requirement, but but a love for my wife that keeps my marriage thriving and healthy and points other people to what a, a healthy marriage looks like. So, so we should approach our relationship with Jesus in the same way. And, and that leads me to today's big idea. Uh, if you've ever listened to one of my messages, you'll, you'll find that I'm not generally the type of preacher that gives you three or five points and I want you to remember all of them. I, I try to drop one main idea that I want you to think about and, and dwell on and meditate on, you know, weigh it against scripture to make sure that it's truth Now, I want you to think about this statement this week. And here's today's big idea. How we live for Jesus does not earn his love. It confirms our love for him. Think about that for a second. The way we live for Jesus doesn't earn his love. It confirms our love for him. You see, when we start thinking about how we should think or behave or what attitudes we have, what desires we should have, when we think about those things from the perspective of how should those be shaped by our love for Jesus, it can change and transform everything about our being. It can make us into true followers of Jesus. You see, When Jesus comes into your life, when he rescues you from your sins, he also transforms your life. He will change you. Your life will look different than it did before. Your life will look different than the lives of the people around you because of your love for Jesus. Now, uh, I told you to keep your Bibles uh, open to Matthew chapter five. Go back to Matthew five. I wanna look at a few examples uh, of what uh, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount that, that goes back to what we've been consistently saying throughout this study in the Beatitudes. It, this is not just about living out the minimum requirements to live for Jesus. And I'll be honest, it's not even just being a m- basic moral person. I think personally, I think being just a basic moral person is the minimum of, of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I mean, even unbelievers can be good people. Even an unbeliever can, can you know, not cheat on their spouse or not steal money or not murder someone. But Jesus takes those ideas, that basic morality that we talk about as, as Christians, and he takes those ideas a step further and makes them much more about our thoughts and our attitudes and our desires and our approaches to life itself. It's not just about our actions, but it's about all the things that are going on in our minds and our hearts. So let me give you some examples. Look with me, Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 21 and 22. Jesus says, you've heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the, hell, to the hell of fire. The idea here is that even murder can be something that happens mentally inside of our minds. If, if we're angry with a brother and living in unrepentance and, and, uh, and not seeking reconciliation, when, when we insult those around us, Jesus said even that makes us guilty. Now fast forward, Matthew five, now go to verse 27. It says this, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her or him in his or her heart. The idea here is that even the mental longing for someone who is not your spouse can be sinful. Go forward even further, Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44. It says this, you've heard it said You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You That goes to another level of love for others. We're not just called to love those that are easy to love. We're called to love those people that hate us and persecute us. We're called to love them, bless them, pray for them. Now, go to even further, chapter six. So the very next chapter, go to verse 33. Chapter six, verse 33, it says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. They're basically talking about all your needs. Next verse, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The the idea being is that we don't need to be worrying and being anxious about all the things, all the concerns of tomorrow. Instead, live in the day. It doesn't mean don't plan and don't prepare and don't save or any of those things. It just means that we need to have a full trust in God. Uh, Go further. Chapter seven, the next chapter, verse 12 it says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophet. So the golden rule, do to others as you would have them do to you. That's commonly said, but let's be honest, we don't actually live that out very well most of the time. But that's the kind of thing that Jesus calls us to. Let's look at one more passage. Chapter seven, starting in verse 24. Jesus is making it clear that true followers of Jesus will not just be decent moral people. They will also think and live above and beyond for Jesus. Think about the fruit of the Spirit that we find in the book of Galatians, also found in your New Testament. Galatians chapter 5 gives us the fruit of the Spirit, and it's basically this next level of living morally for Jesus. It's not about the do's and don'ts. It's about the way we live that helps us avoid those do's and don'ts. And so what is that fruit of the Spirit? We're called to live in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Yeah, if we can live those kinds of things out, then we will show people the love of Jesus. These teachings that I've just unpacked for you throughout Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, and then in Galatians chapter five, and elsewhere throughout God's word, these are not talking about meeting minimum requirements to be considered a follower of Jesus. They are teaching us to go above and beyond to live sacrificially for Jesus to to out of our love for Jesus out of our love for what he's done for us and how much he's loved us that we go out and live a life that is amazing for him your faith in Jesus doesn't just transform your actions or your words it transforms your thoughts your desires your attitudes your ambitions for life and even transforms your relationships and the way you approach and live in those relationships. So the challenge can be hard, but but please remember, we don't live for Jesus because we're trying to earn our love uh, his love. We're doing it because it confirms our love for him. That's why we live for him. So Let me close with a couple of questions, a couple of challenges for you this week. What is your attitude about living for Jesus? In other words, are you just going to Jesus and saying, what's the minimum that I have to do to still be your follower? Does your love for him drive you to live differently than the way you normally just want to live? Because let's be honest, following Jesus and living for Jesus is intentional. It takes work. It it doesn't come naturally. The life of the follower of Jesus is about doing something that is above and beyond because of our love for our Savior. So what do you need to do this week to demonstrate your love for Jesus? Join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much for today. And Lord, we thank you for the Beatitudes and for the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you that Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. He came to take it to its fruition, to to its fulfillment. And Lord, that fulfillment is, is going out and living a life that reflects Jesus to the world around us. It's not about meeting a minimum requirement to be a follower, but it's about going out and living in a way that makes our savior smile. That we love Jesus so much that we are driven, we are compelled, we desire to live for him. Help us to keep in mind that that living for him is not about earning his love or your love, It's about showing you that we love you. It's about living out the love that we have for you. So Lord, help us to live out the Beatitudes. Help us to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Help us to live out the fruit of the Spirit. We thank you, Lord. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.